Welcome to Five to Thrive, five strategies to equip and empower educators, parents, and students to thrive. And here are your hosts, Dr. Rhoda and Professor Marty. Welcome back. In today's episode, we're going to continue the discussion on teens, and this time we are going to be digging deep into uh, the teenage brain. And I, I am telling you, this is going to be a fascinating discussion, and I had a chance to talk to Dr. Rhoda a little bit before this episode, and it's really going to be thought-provoking. So thanks, Dr. Rhoda, again for being here. Thank you, and thank you to our listeners. So in our attempt to better understand our young people, so that we can help them thrive, equip them to thrive, we're exploring the teenage brain. And the teenage brain is fascinating. Uh, there are a lot of opinions on the teenage brain, but it's hard to disagree that it is, what's going on is fascinating. So the adolescent years are a time when the brain is going from that of a child who is dependent upon others to that of a completely independent adult. It's a transition time. And in our last podcast, we talked about the hormones that are changing at this time, which help them move through this process and how those hormones impact their emotional state. Well, what is occurring in the brain also influences how they feel and the decisions they make. So have you ever been frustrated with a teen and wondered, or maybe you even said it out loud, what were you thinking? Yes, I didn't say it out loud, but I was thinking that, and that has happened within the past 24 hours, so. And they sit there staring blankly at you, oftentimes, right? The truth is, they probably weren't thinking. They honestly don't have a good answer for your question. So let's explore why and what is going on. The brain is changing drastically during these adolescent years. If I were to ask parents, what are the two most challenging times to raise children, I believe most parents would respond, the terrible twos and the teens. Would you agree, agree Professor Murray? I would absolutely agree. I would say the terrible twos lasted beyond two, but yes, the yeah. terrible twos and terrible absolutely. Toddlers. Yes, yes. <laughs> and, and absolutely the teens. And ironically, there are very similar things going on in the brain during these two times of life. So during both the toddler years and the teen years, the brain is flourishing with new growth. We literally call what is going on at the brain, in the brain at this time, blossoming. So it's gonna be helpful for you to be able to understand just a little bit of basic neuroscience here. Okay, so bear with me, I won't go too deep. So neuron is the te technical term for a brain cell. Okay, and neurons have little things that grow off of them called dendrites and axons. Dendrites bring information to the cell body and axons take information away from the cell body. So they're like the connectors. Information from one neuron flows to another neuron across a synapse. And the neurochemicals in our brain create the environment where this information can happen, this flow can happen effectively. So that's the science of what's going on, all right? So during the teen years, these dendrites and axons are growing rapidly. So the brain is literally getting a bunch of new brain matter but those neurons haven't connected yet with other neurons. We know that a thought happens when two neurons connect. Those connections happen as we live through life, as we have experiences, as we think about them and reflect upon them. And teens haven't done this yet. They have lots of stuff growing in there, but it hasn't made connections yet. It hasn't made sense of the information, which leads to lots of confusion and lots of acting without thinking through those actions in advance. It's a very impulsive, very spur of the moment time. And what's so important with that for me is I often tend to assume that they're thinking the same way that I am and that yeah. they're rationalizing and they haven't had the life experiences and they don't have those 
those benchmarks to refer back to. Spot on. That's exactly what's going on. Have you ever seen a bridge being built across an interstate? First, they build the foundations on the two side on the sides of the road, but it's not connected across the top yet. That's very similar to the teenage brain. There's lots of stuff there for construction, but it's still under construction. It hasn't made connections yet. In fact, this is really the, my favorite analogy for thinking of the teen brain is like a construction zone that's still under construction. In a construction zone, all normal rules of the road are off, right? You need to slow down. You got to know there could be gravel. There's going to be narrowed lanes probably. You may have traffic patterns that are switching and changing. You may have gravel trucks pulling out in front of you. So what do you need to do in a construction zone? You need to slow down, be extra aware, and you know that this is a phase. This is going to pass. And so then you proceed with caution. That's what we need to do as parents and, teen- and teachers of, of teenagers. This is a passing phase. We want to be very careful not to ruin a relationship uh, because we are frustrated with a young person or because we've grown impatient when basically they're just doing what's normal for them during this time of growth right now. You know, as you, as you mentioned that, I think of the zoo interchange that was under construction yeah. for so many years right yeah. in this area and how often I sat in traffic and uh, was upset and frustrated. The, the, the same applies here. Yeah. This is what, like you said, teenagers are going through. And so I as an adult need to take a step back and, and realize where my frustration is coming yeah. from. I grew up riding motorcycle in Arizona, and I really only had one pretty good spill. And it was in a construction zone, hit hit a patch of gravel in the construction, just went down like that. I think I still have a little chunk of gravel in my knee from it. So you just have to be super, super extra cautious, extra, extra careful, patience. So as I mentioned in our last podcast, this is how God, in his infinite wisdom, designed us. The teenage years and all the craziness of that are his design. It's not wrong. Like in all things, we need to trust him and we need to love others as we move through it and as we help them move through it. So let's dig a little bit deeper into what's going on and what is being constructed. Everything in your memory got there through your five senses. We call this sensory information. Every memory that you have stored in your brain is something that you have tasted, touched, heard, saw, or smelled. And it's stored in different lobes of the brain, different areas of the brain based on the sensory path with which it entered. So vision is stored in the occipital lobe. That's back in the back of your head. So here, just to put your hands on the back of your head, that's where visual memories are stored. When you think of a memory that you've seen, oh, that's, that's there. Imagine what your mom's mom looks like. So your grandma on your mom's side. If you just imagine that, you just traveled to your occipital lobe to pull that memory up. Okay? It's amazing how God's designed us. The temporal lobe, sound, uh, hearing, and a little bit of smell is stored there. So if you can imagine that same grandma's voice, or my grandma was an incredible cook. She always made us birthday dinners, cooked us birthday cakes, those smells. um, That's stored in the temporal lobe, which is kind of behind your ears. And then the parietal lobe, that's at the top of your head, kind of like the crown of your head. And that's where you store memories of things that you've done, like hands-on memory is stored there. So as teachers, this is why it's important for us to teach using multiple modalities. If a learner can see it and hear it and do it, that memory is going to be stored in three lobes of the brain and it's gonna be a richer, thicker, fuller memory. So understand that this is how the brain is working in our teenagers and all these areas are developing. But the biggest area developing is right behind your forehead. That's called the prefrontal cortex. This is the last part of the brain to fully develop. Most people are about 25, 26 years old before this part of the brain is fully developed. 
So, and it's the part of the brain that's responsible for thinking through the consequences of our actions. It's responsible for insights, judgment, decision-making, higher order, critical thinking. All of that happens in that prefrontal cortex. And it's kind of like a muscle. The more we use it, the more quickly it develops. The two best things we can do to help our teens develop this part of the brain, which is so important for decision-making, and it's still under construction for the next several years, we can either help them to think through the consequences of their actions in advance, or we can give them two options and let them make a choice. And I'm going to explain why both of these are important and how they work. Why does thinking through the consequences of our actions in advance work? As you have a trusting discussion with your child or student, and you talk about the real challenges that they're facing, know that their brain isn't wired yet to naturally think through the consequences, because that's the job of the prefrontal cortex, and it's still developing. However, as an adult, your prefrontal cortex is developed. You have lived through your teens. You've survived. You've had those experiences. You've made sense of them. Your brain has made those neural connections. But instead of telling a teenager what to do, because remember, they're longing for independence. They want to move away from being dependent on mom and dad. They don't want mom and dad telling them what to do. They want to think for themselves. But their brain isn't wired yet to be able to think for themselves. So when you can sit down and have a good heart-to-heart -heart with them, help them process the information. In a way, I like to think of it as I'm going to lend them my prefrontal cortex to help them figure out how to develop theirs and make these decisions. So we can talk with our young people about, you know, think through the things that are going to be challenging in life. And you're going to have some choices here. How do you want to act? Who do you want to be? How do you want to show up? So what will you do when you're at a party and things are happening there that are making you uncomfortable? Think through that in advance. You know, and what I love about that question is it's very real. You know inevitably that they're going to come across that and have to make a decision. So yeah. like you said, why not, why not discuss it up front? And remember the amygdala. When we're nervous, when we're frightened, when we're upset, when we're anxious, a.k.a. at a party, and we're not sure what we should do, right? The part of the brain where good thinking happens, that prefrontal cortex shuts down. And so they're not making good decisions at that time. So many times good kids make really poor decisions in the heat of the moment because they're not using the decision part of their brain. They're going along with the crowd because they don't know what else to do. So help them think through in advance. What are they going to do? Maybe they talk to their best friend who they're going to the party with and they say, you know what, when that happens, we're out of here. We're going to go see a movie. They make a plan in advance and they don't have to question it. And so, so what we do with our kids, at least one of them, uh, we require that they text us at some point. Mm -hmm. And then there's a certain emoji that they send that is very neutral. That means, hey, I'm uncomfortable here. Can you text and say, yeah. you know, I'm picking you up home. or, or, yeah. or yeah. along those lines. Very good. So you've thought through that in advance. You've talked to them. They have a plan. They don't have to try to make a decision when their brain's not working well. Another thing you could talk, what are they going to do when their best friend asks them for the questions on the test? Right? How are they going to handle that? Think through that in advance. What are those challenging situations? What will they do if they get cut from the soccer team and soccer is their love? Start helping them think through and plan through. What are other possibilities? What are other things that could happen? One that I think is so very, very important for our young people with, as they start dating, what will they do when they're coming to the end of the date? How are they going to end a date in an honorable way? How do they end it in a healthy way? When they have all kinds of feelings and reactions and chemistry and hormones and things going on, think through that in advance. So they're not trying to make a decision when literally their brain is not working. So, but again, instead of telling them what to do, they don't like to be told what to do because they want to be independent. 
help them think through these things in advance, help them come up with their own solutions to these potential situations. Instead of you telling them what you would do, what are they going to do and help them figure that out. Find something that the two of you enjoy doing, go for a walk, go to a video arcade, video arcade, go get some ice cream, have a heart to heart. Just a little tip here, oftentimes with teens, walking and talking is easier for them than just sitting there and talking, especially for our young men. So maybe go for a walk, go to the park, whatever. One more reason why this is important is because there's another part of the brain at work called the amygdala, which I was just telling you about, right? That respons responsible for the fight, flight, or freeze. It's super active, hyperactive during this time in their life. And it hinders the prefrontal cortex from doing its job well. They often feel overly at threat. So we need to be that secure, safe, dependable place for them. When it comes to impulsiveness, I like to think of the analogy, teens get the gas pedal before they get the brake. Uh, like when you think of a car. I, I could not agree with you more. <laughs> <laughs> they want to be independent. They want to live life. They want to experience everything and start learning all this information right away. And they want to feel everything and experience everything as fast as they can. And yet they're not always thinking through the consequences of what might happen. And so this is one of the reasons why good friends are so important. When we have friends who have the same values as us, they can actually kind of serve as a sort of break. And they can help us slow down and reconsider our options. And as teenagers, we're often willing to listen to our friends. And so, you know, if your daughter is dating a guy you're not crazy about, if she's got good friends that can also see that he's not really treating her really well, sometimes that conversation with those friends, like they can help her think through this um, or, you know, pick whatever scenario you might want to think of. So Christian friends... Friends that have the same values as us can be a tremendous blessing during these teenage years, and we really want to encourage those connections. So I mentioned there were two things we could do to help the young brain at this time. The one is to work with them as they think through consequences and, and figure out how they want to handle situations. The other thing we do, and it starts at a much younger age, is begin letting them make choices for themselves. And so they learn how to make a choice and live with the consequences of their choice. They're typically choices that we've already determined in advance were okay. So we want to give them two options. Either option is fine with us. Now you pick what you want, and then you live with the consequences. And what is great is you're guiding them in decision-making in life, and yet you know, even though they have choice, they have limited ownership, you know either choice it is going to be a benefit to them. Yep. Really, Kid, really powerful. Kids need kid-sized mistakes, right? And so they need to make choices and then live with the consequences of whatever their choice is. So this can start at a very young age. Your four-year-old, you know, there's they are getting ready. Which pajamas do they want to wear? And it's middle of summer, and they choose the long pajamas. And they are hot, and they are miserable. They learn from that, right? It's not going to hurt them long-term, but they're going to learn a lesson. Their brain's going to say, oh, yeah, in summer, I don't want to wear long pajamas. And two neurons are going to connect, and their brain's going to be more fully developed. Uh, bedtime, you know, maybe you, as they're getting a little bit older, those middle school years or, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh grade, instead of saying, okay, bedtime is at this time, give them a half hour variance and say, you can have your bedtime at this time or this time. They'll pick the later time, and that's okay, right? Um, you're starting to let them have some choices. Where do they want to do their homework? You know, um, and then as they get older and older and older, I kind of think of parents as being like a filter. And when a, a baby, uh, you know, you have a baby, they can't do anything for themselves. The baby's making, or the parent's making every decision for them. But as the child gets older and older and older, the parent kind of lifts off like a filter and more decisions go through to the kid. And, and eventually, by 18, 19, 20, they're making all their decisions, hopefully, with good guidance and good advice. So be there for them. 
Don't slam the door on your trusting relationship because they're being difficult and you grow impatient and frustrated with them. Be patient, be flexible, have grace. Use that beautiful gift of forgiveness that we have. Keep a strong relationship. Even though they may hurt your feelings by not wanting to spend time with you and the family or by saying something that's rude and inconsiderate, try not to take that personally. It's a normal part of their desire to become more independent. And I think as parents, sometimes I, I struggle, Dr. Rhoda, with you go into your son's room or your daughter's room and in your head you want to have this meaningful conversation but what you've neglected to think is sometimes it's just going in there and sitting down and and nothing occurs yeah but then at least there's a routine so that when they are comfortable or something does need to be addressed uh, it can be done in a in, in a meaningful manner that's a beautiful insight we may be in the mood to have a meaningful conversation they may not be right but if we just go in and let them know we're here we care for them. I'm happy to sit. I'm happy to talk. Whatever you want to do, that builds that it continues to build that trust. Very good insight. Uh, so this is a critical time of development in their young brain. We get to walk with them through this time. You know, compassion means the root of the word compassion to suffer with. We get to suffer with our young people, not own their problems, but walk with them as they learn how to figure them out. Again, as a parent or a teacher at this stage, we're moving towards being more like a coach. We're guiding them but they're making their decisions and learning how to live with the consequences of their decisions. Uh, recently, a really good friend of mine mentioned some advice that her pediatrician gave her uh, as her kids were going through the teenage stage. And she says, the teenage years are like a roller coaster, but we have to be careful that we do not climb on the emotional roller coaster with them. It's our job to stay stable. We are home base. We are that safe place as they go through the ro roller coaster. Our goal in Five to Thrive is to equip and support educators and parents as they help each child develop to his or her full God-given potential. So here are five key takeaways from today's episode. And I'll be honest, I had a hard time coming up with five because there are so many more. Uh, so, so feel free to, to rewind. I'm going to rewind this podcast and listen to it multiple times. But to keep it to five, uh, the first one is just take the time to be aware of how incredibly um, fast the brain is growing during adolescence. I mean, it's an incredible time of, time of change, and, and that, that explains why a lot of things are, are not within the control of the adolescent. Number two, help your adolescent reflect and make connections. Very, very important. You have the life lived experiences, and they don't. Number three, uh, talk to them uh, about consequences. Uh, and certainly have them uh, have choice. Number four, it's so, so early. You know, Dr. Rowe talked an awful lot about the prefrontal cortex. Start at an early age. You don't have to wait until they're a teenager to start some of these things. And number five, incredibly important, you create that safe space for your adolescent. Absolutely essential that they know that they can go to you they can talk to you, you'll listen, and you'll, as Dr. Rota so nicely said, serve as their filter. Thanks for taking the time to learn with us. Let us know how you're doing. If you have questions, challenges, or successes you want to share, please let us know through the comment section of our website. May your week be blessed.